Well, Radio Pulpit and Radio Cape Pulpit listeners, it is good to be with you this Friday. Yes, Penny has sent in the first message. There is Table Talk with Mark this morning. Great to be with you. You're listening to Radio Pulpit 657 AM and Radio Cape Pulpit 729 AM with me, Mark Penrith. And I'm missing Peter. This morning, he is, I'm fairly certain, in Polokwane at Christ Seminary for the week. Um, but I'm glad to be with you, uh, hosting you this morning as we talk about God's Word, as we look and peer and gaze into Scripture, as we consider Bible questions and answers, your Bible questions and answers. It's really important that you light up the board now and send in a couple of questions so that we can get the conversation rolling this morning. Who am I? You may well ask. I'm the husband of Liesel, father of Caitlin, Catherine and Thomas and I am a pastor at Central Baptist Church Pretoria. Table Talk is podcasted. You can go and check out rono.fm or Apple Podcast to listen, subscribe, rate and review. <laughs> We're a live listener engaged show. So those questions are really important to get to me so that we can start to engage and interact with one another. How can you join the conversation this morning? You can phone into the studio. Uh, the telephone number for the studio line is 012-334-1322. Or you can drop a comment on Facebook. We're currently live streaming to Radio Pulpit, Radio Console, the Facebook page. I'm about to share to Pastor Mark Penrith as well as to Central Baptist Church Pretoria um, and you can send in voice notes via WhatsApp or Telegram to 0826572729 if you're a twit you can tweet on at 657am I've been tweeting quite a bit um, of late I'm trying to get a handle on Twitter I'm quite enjoying the space it's a little bit different to Facebook where I spend most of my time but I certainly have been enjoying uh, the Twitter sphere of late on the controls this morning Pressing all the buttons, answering all the calls is our co-laborer in the ministry. Mpo, it's good to have you with us, bud. Thank you so much. And Mpo is standing by to take your calls. Now is the time to reach for the phone and dial in to 012-334-1322. And this morning we are live on 657 AM Radio Pulpit, 729 AM Radio Cape Pulpit. We're also, as I said, on Facebook, on the Radio Pulpit, Radio Pulpit Facebook page. Uh, We're on DSTV Channel 882. We're on Open View Channel 607. And we're streaming on our website, www.radiopulpit.co.za. Wherever you're tuning in, welcome. It's good to be spending Friday morning together with you. And we really do want to hear from you guys. Um, and so even as you're thinking of questions, you might want to engage with us uh, just in terms of your own experience. Uh, last week we spoke a little bit about catechisms. Uh, I'd be very interested to hear if any of you have gone to take a look at the Baptist Catechism um, or the New City Catechism. I posted them in the show notes last week. I'll post them in the show notes again this week. Um, I'd be very interested to hear any feedback or comment you have um, regarding either the videos or the catechisms that we've been creating uh, or alternatively 
um, the, the text of the catechisms themselves are you able to use them in personal devotions or family devotions um, have you used catechisms in the past uh, in terms of strengthening your own faith or being exposed to catechisms what has been your experience that might be interesting to talk about uh, and to engage on um, each uh, each week uh, last year uh, we engaged with our friends from 4SA um, and uh, had the opportunity uh, to hear a little bit around the rolling conversation between the church and the state. Uh, this week we are joined by Daniela Ellebeck. She is a, an attorney of the High Court of South Africa and serves as a parliamentary liaison. Uh, she's a graduate from Rhodes University and she's specialized in litigation. Uh, it's good to have her with us. Uh, and just so that you know, listeners, 4SA uh, is the Freedom of Religion South Africa. There are a legal advocacy organization which works to protect and promote your constitutional right to religious freedom in South Africa. Uh, this week, Daniela, if I understand correctly, we're going to be talking about the draft criminal law, sexual offenses and related matters amendment bill of 2022 known as the prostitution bill, which kind of keys you into the conversation that we're going to be having listeners, which was published um, last month on the 9th of December. And the bill proposes to amend South African law to fully decriminalize the system of prostitution. Uh, Many religious leaders and other organizations have expressed serious reservations, concerns about the implication of this action. Um, But the time to make comments is short since the deadline is Tuesday the 31st of Jan. That's like next week, Tuesday. So, Daniela, maybe you can just uh, key us in and explain to us uh, what position is 4SA taking on this bill. Mark, I don't know if it's too late in January to say it, but Happy New Year. It's, it's the first too late. No, no, no. The ship has sailed on Happy New Year. <laughs> but Happy New Year to you All anyway. Right. Thank you. <laughs> um, so what position is 4 taking on the prostitution bill? Because we are being asked this question quite a lot. So after careful consideration of this bill, 4 concluded that it doesn't impact the right to religious freedom, which is your right to live out your faith and talk about it publicly. Okay. And therefore, it falls beyond the scope of 4SA's mandate. Yes. Now, for this reason, 4SA as an organization won't be participating in the public comment process um, of this proposed bill or be taking up a position on the legal status of prostitution in South Africa and what it should be. However, while we have to honor the limitation of our mandate, because sure. 4SA's mandate is to only protect and promote religious freedom, yes. we are well aware that many members of the faith community are likely to hold strong views on something that affects morality, like prostitution, and how the law should respond to it. Now, one of the ways that 4SA serves the faith community is by assisting them to engage with the public participation process. And I know you and I have spoken about it before, what that looks like. like I'm starting so to become legal, legalist. No, not legalistic. That's the wrong word. Um, I, I'm starting to understand the legal framework in South Africa in ways that I never understood it before. Um, I, I thought that uh, the legal framework in South Africa was basically looked a little bit like Ali McBeal or LA Law from when I was a kid. But I've discovered it's nothing like that at all. I've been watching. I've at been least watching. you didn't say suits. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, I should have gone with suits because uh, LA Law 
Law was a, was a little bit before my time. My parents really enjoyed that. But uh, yeah, uh, seats would probably be it. <laughs> but but I've actually been watching uh, you guys uh, on YouTube. A couple of cases last year I, I watched for a represent uh, kind of um, – uh, the the uh, freedom of religion in South Africa. I I watched um I watched a couple of court cases that you were involved in, and then I watched the processes that you guys get involved with, <laughs> whether it be white papers, green papers, or other papers. Um, fascinating, very technical as it turns out. Um, but I really have enjoying enjoyed getting to know how things work. And uh, you are right. Um, it would be a valuable contribution to the faith community if you kind of give us an idea of, well, maybe we can just start off with, in a nutshell, what is this bill all about? So, Mark, should this bill in its current form be adopted? So um, perhaps I want to preface this by saying that this bill is still with the Department of Justice. Okay. So for viewers who might want to know more about the legislative process um as mark and i have just said we've spoken about it before um so i'm sure you can find that interview um on the radio pulpit facebook channel if you just scroll down but basically a bill normally starts off in a government department and then there's a public comment process the department looks at the public comments they rework the bill as they deem fit and then only does the bill go to parliament and we get another invitation by parliament to comment on the bill. Mm. Now, this bill is still in front of the DOJ, um, but if the version of the bill, the way the DOJ has it at the moment, has to be adopted, essentially what will happen is that the selling and buying of sexual services by adults, which the law says is anyone over 18 years, will become legal. So, also, that means that related activities such as soliciting and advertising of sexual services, pimping, as well as keeping a brothel and living off the earnings of prostitution will all become legal. Now, in addition, the criminal records of people involved in prostitution, um, as far as their convictions concerned prostitution and these related activities, Um, would also be expunged and all pending prostitution cases would be withdrawn. Now, the fact that this proposed bill is, or this bill proposes to fully decriminalize prostitution, many are arguing flies directly in the face of the government's commitment to aim gender-based violence, GBV. Yes. And um, that it's a truly bizarre about face. Now, many listeners and viewers may recall that during the height of COVID pandemic, uh, the president was placing a major focus on ending GBV. Now, the reality is that most people involved in prostitution or prostituted people are socially, economically marginalized women. So they come from um, a poor background and they are vulnerable, meaning that the system of prostitution sexually exploits vulnerable women and therefore is particularly a heinous form of GBV. And for this reason, for the government to propose legalizing prostitution or any form of sexual exploitation, many are seeing as being totally irreconcilable with commitment to GBV. And then, of course, there's the whole sexual trafficking that feeds into it and all other related activities. So for this reason, many are highly concerned about the legalization of prostitution. Mm. Uh, 
Daniela, I'm fairly certain, having been watching the news for a number of years and watching headlines, that that, that this has come around before. Um, there's been, or at least I think there has been, previous legal action, uh, court judgments uh, in this area. Um, is, is the law in sync with all of that? So one of the main areas of concern of this bill is the infringement of fundamental human rights. So the rights enshrined by our constitution in the Constitution's Bill of Rights. Now, in the landmark case of State versus Jordan, where the criminalization of prostitution was challenged in the Concord, um, far from supporting the decriminalization of prostitution, the court confirmed that criminalizing prostitution does not violate prostituted persons' right to human dignity, equality, privacy, freedom and security of person, freedom to engage in economic activity. So basically the Concord said, our highest court said that if the state chooses to criminalize prostitution, that doesn't violate the human rights of prostitutes. Significantly, the Concord also found that the act of prostitution itself commodifies the human body which is at odds with inherent dignity the way the Constitution um, ascribes to. Now, in short, the Concord held that criminalizing prostitution is not unconstitutional and that the act of prostituting infringes the dignity of prostituted persons. Now, obviously, respecting the fact that we have three different branches of government, we've got the executive that enforces the law. Yes. Um, We have the legislature, parliament that makes the law, and we have the judiciary that interprets and applies the law. Yes. If Parliament, our elected representatives, the voice of the people, decide to decriminalize prostitution, the state will have to apply that and the courts will have to interpret the law according to that. So that has to be borne in mind that while the Concord has said that criminalizing prostitution is not unconstitutional, the parliament is free as the voice of the people to say, well, we actually want to decriminalize it. Hmm. So, I mean, just just then at a big picture in terms of our church, our church constitution, in terms of our country's constitution, when we think about that, um, is this law on the table as it, as it presently is, the complete and full dis- decriminalization of prostitution, um, is that in keeping with the framework of the South African constitution? So, Mark, the Constitution is clear that the laws that we pass should only be changed on the basis of sound public reasons. Now, so, for example, um, in other words, those backed by the evidence of scientific research and prostituted persons' lived experiences in this country. Now, for us, a note with concern the existence of a growing body of scientific research, basically evidence and testimonies of people um, who have been prostituted, that show that full decriminalization not only fails to address, but in fact, fact actually amplifies, it makes worse um, prostitution's ills. For this reason, and to pardon, uh, for, this, uh, for those who may be interested in more detail on this, there is an article on ForSA's website um, with links to research on this topic. Now, what is particularly concerning about this bill is that it in fact ignores one of the main recommendations coming out of the South African Law Reform Commission's um, report on adult prostitution in 2015, and I quote, the commission has concluded that changing the legislative framework, in other words, changing the law, 
could create an extremely dangerous cultural shift juxtaposed against the high number of sexual crimes already committed against women. Women would be considered even more expendable than at present, end quote. So that is very concerning. If that that was the result of the Law Reform Commission's research, that they concluded legalizing prostitution would actually make women more expendable and actually is juxtaposed with a high amount of sexual crimes, so think rape already committed against women, then it's very concerning that we have a, a law like this being proposed by um, a State Department. Help me, help me out here with something, uh, Daniela. The South African Law Reform Commission, is that a Chapter 9 or is that a, an NGO or PBO or, or how, do, what, what, what kind of, how do they fit into the picture? So the Law Reform Commission's task is to look at South Africans' laws and see where they need to be updated, where they need to be changed, and so forth. So, for example, they also looked at what a possible single marriage act could look like mm. as a result of the fact of identifying the fact that South Africa's marriage laws actually need updating because not all marriages are legally recognized, which yes. is problematic. Um, so that's their job. They look at the laws in South Africa and see, okay, where do we have gaps? Where do we have holes? Where do we have laws that are no longer needed? Where do we have laws that need updating? And so forth. Okay, okay. okay can I play devil's advocate for just a moment? Um, uh, what are the alternatives to the full decriminalization of prostitution? I guess I'm playing devil's advocate to the state, not to you. But but what what, what alternatives are on the table? Uh, you know, uh, if they present this as the only option, um, surely there's other things that they can be thinking of. Well, one is obviously to leave, well, if one is obviously to leave the current law in place, under the full criminalization model, the whole system of prostitution is criminalized. So like we've said, you know, it's not just providing sexual services, it's the buying of sexual services, it's the keeping of a brothel, it's the pimping, everything involved is criminalized. Now, other important um, considerations would include stopping the demand for sexual services and providing socioeconomically marginalized persons with viable options to help them exit prostitution and or prevent them from entering the system Um, of prostitution in the first place. So stopping the demand, the people who buy sex, and stopping um, the supply, the people who provide sex. Now, another alternative, which has been implemented internationally, excuse me, and is known as the Nordic or equality model, is partly decriminalized prostitution. The partial decriminalization model only decriminalizes the action of prostituted persons. In other words, the selling of sex as it sees them as victims of sexual exploitation. In um, other words, that their participation in prostitution is not actually a real choice. Okay. Uh, I have no doubt that there will be listeners, even kind of listening into this conversation, who have concerns about the prostitution bill uh, and who would like to make their opinions heard. Um, in this consultation process and uh, in the short period that remains, um, where can they get involved? Mark, so if anyone wants to comment on this bill, and as we've said, the deadline is next week, Tuesday, the 31st of Jan, um, Forza urges those in the religious sector to participate meaningfully because, as we've said before, signing a a petition doesn't help. Um, Rather send in a legal submission. Now, if you want to participate meaningfully in the prostitution law reform process, 
You can constructively raise your religious views and concerns in the public square on matters of public importance such as this. And you can do that by delivering written submissions to the DOJ, the Department of Justice, by the 31st of January, such as by submitting comments via the DFSA platform. Now, for SN, our homepage even has a link as you land on it. Um, it says, have your say, prostitution bill. You can click on it, take it to DRSA, and you can have your say there. And that counts as a written submission to the DOJ. Okay. Now, if you wish to participate in whatever public hearings may be held, um, we also ask that you include this in your submission. Oh, that's excellent, Daniela. I've actually put the the link to the DSA platform uh, into the show notes. Uh, they're in the comments section on Facebook at the moment, and I've no doubt that they'll make it onto the podcast as well. Um, but time is short, so if you're listening in and you'd like to have your say on this particular issue, you actually need to act today. You can do that in one of two ways, just to underline what Daniela has said. You can go to the 4SA website, which is 4SA, that's F-O-R-S-A dot org dot Z-A. And on the 4SA uh, page, there is a link to the DSA um, uh, 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 section, um, or you can go straight to our web page and uh, uh, to our show notes. And in the show notes, there's a link directly to DSA. Daniela, thank you so much. First interview of the year, um, a serious conversation. Um, but I, I do thank you guys for the work that you do, both in speaking to government, uh, often on our behalf, and engaging within the legal system, um, but also um, propagating information uh, to the church in general. So really appreciate the work that you guys do. Thank you so much. It's an absolute pleasure, Mark. Have a lovely day. <laughs> Cheers. God bless. Bye. Well, friends, you are listening to Radio Pulpit and Radio Cape Pulpit. You're listening to Table Talk with Mark. This morning is a questions and answers show for the next hour and a half. It's half past nine. We will be going through until 11 o'clock. I'm looking forward to your questions and answers pouring in. Now is the time to light up the board. <laughs> How can you do that, you might ask? How can you engage with the show? Well, you can join the conversation this morning by phoning into the studio. The telephone number is 012334-1322. Can I just say, I love it when you guys phone in. Uh, such a major advantage to me to be able to ask points of clarification, to hear your voice, <laughs> to ask where you're from and kind of uh, what church uh, you attend and to engage with you in a meaningful way. I love it when you phone in. So thank you so much to those who called in in 2022. I would like to give you the opportunity to phone in again in 2023. Let me read out the telephone number one more time. It's 012-334-1322. And the telephone number is in the comments section on the Radio Pulpit Facebook page. Um, also to say that you can drop comments on our Facebook live stream. We're currently live streaming on Facebook. Um, and we're live streaming to our Facebook page, which is Radio Pulpit Radio Console. If you find the live stream there, you can just uh, uh, write a message down below. Uh, thank you to a number of people that I can see who have already uh, commented, including Glenn as well as Penny. Uh, Glenn says, uh, Moramark, the Yerasinho. 
ek luister na jylle in my moote, sê radio, enjoy your day, thanks for ending in English I, I think you can pick up my, that my Afrikaans is a little bit rusty Glenn, but I did do the best that I could um, it's uh, lovely to have you with us this morning, and uh, Penny uh, says that she is unable to be with our guys after 10 as we scheduled for load shedding again, load shedding is terrible penny and the whole of south africa (laughs) experiences your pain together with you however penny has asked a question the first question of the day perhaps and so we will be reading that out um shortly um let me just uh, also say that if you are listening on facebook um now is a great time to like and to uh, share the facebook page um i have shared it now to the central baptist church pretoria's facebook page and i have shared it to pastor mark penrith the facebook page as well uh, just so that more people can be exposed to Bible Q&A over the next hour and a half. Really do appreciate it when you do that. Um, Also, uh, we do podcast the show. We've been working hard on the podcasting platform. We now break the show up into questions and answers, which really gives you the opportunity of just zoning in and zooming in on particular questions that you might have interest in. And so the 4SA conversation, for example, uh, will be podcast um, I think on Monday or so and other questions will be podcast during the week um, uh, yeah and uh, just encourage you to go and, and uh, uh, subscribe to our podcast you can find that on rono.fm or alternatively I follow it on Apple Podcasts you can follow it on Google Podcasts and other podcast mechanisms as well so yeah it comes in the first question of the day it comes in from penny uh, she asked it on facebook thank you so much penny for asking it um i have a friend and a family member who are both struggling with living under condemnation they've both discussed with me that they are so afraid that when they sin and haven't had time to confess and ask forgiveness that and they should die suddenly that they will go to hell the more I try to reassure them, the more I can tell that they still do not quite believe me. Both have repented and confessed and from what I can see are born again. Please give me some passages that I can actually print out and send to them so that they can read them over and over until the truth sinks in. I struggled with the same issue for years and years until I started attending Faith Baptist in Vitbank, thanks to the ministry of Pastor David McCrum, and thanks in, in, in anticipation. Thank you for the detailed question, Penny. I really appreciate it. Sometimes questions come in and they're one-liners and you've got no context, but you really did give both myself and the listeners quite a lot of context uh, to your question. Uh, there's so much going on in there. Maybe just to say, uh, I really love your previous pastor, David McCrum. I love your present pastor as well. I think you attend Calvary Baptist in Pretoria and uh, uh, I love the ministry of Pastor Brian Fillion there. Um, but Faith Baptist in Vitbank are friends. I've been there many times. I've actually taught at that church uh, at a conference at a workshop really really enjoyed it and uh, and know the present uh, pastor there as well Clive and uh, have a heart for them we've got a number of people who listen into the show from Vitbank and who attend uh, at Faith Baptist so shout out if you're listening in from Vitbank uh, today as for your question 
this is a question that really believers do have to work through um uh, believers of 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 throughout all time uh, the reality is um this idea of assurance of salvation um and understanding uh, is something that most people struggle with at some time in their christian faith particularly as it relates to sin and so it's not uncommon you experienced it yourself and i know that many others have and do too um and you are right in terms of the pull that needs to be prescribed by a doctor for this particular um, uh, issue, um, and that is Scripture. We need to dwell on Scripture. We need to meditate on Scripture. We need to think on Scripture. We need to be saturated with Scripture if we are to receive the kinds of assurance that we need. Now, they are plenty of places that we can go to in order to discuss this topic of assurance. I want to take you to one place because I I think it is such a comprehensive place. Um, Two passages actually come to mind. The one passage is John chapter 6 where Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he makes some comments around assurance uh, just after he feeds the the multitude with, uh, with bread and with fish and before many of his disciples leave some of his statements relate to assurance and that would be a great place to go to but for me the place that has really made a difference to my own spiritual walk is the book of Romans and in particular Romans chapter 8 now I'm replying for those who might have just uh, listened in now I'm replying to a question that we received via Facebook from Penny and the question is um, uh, friends struggling with living under condemnation and that they have both discussed with me that they are so afraid that when they sin they haven't had time to confess and ask for forgiveness if you had to turn to Romans chapter 8 the reason why it is just such a fantastic fantastic place to begin penny is that romans chapter 8 verse 1 starts off with these words there is therefore and we've got to ask what the therefore is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus and chapter 8 of romans goes on and talks about who keeps us saved who saved us in the first place and who keeps us saved till the end place and the answer is those who are in Christ Jesus. It's Christ Jesus who saves us. Paul is asking the question um, uh, or, or is making the statement, there's therefore now no condemnation. And the therefore is there because it connects chapter 8 to chapters 1 through the end of 7. Um, the, the bottom line is there is a war which has been waged between the law of God, and you can read about that in chapter 7 verse 22a, and the law of sin, 25b. And Paul has been speaking about his inner being in chapter 22, the second half of that verse, and he is despairing in verse 24 except for this Christ Jesus our Lord at the beginning of verse 25 maybe just to read from verse 21 through to verse 25 of chapter 7 Paul had said so I find it to be a law um, when I want to do right evil lies close at hand for I delight in the law of God 
in my inner being, but I see my members, another law, uh, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And then he says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I keep on sinning. I don't want to sin. My spirit is telling me not to sin, but I fall into sin. Who can deliver me from this body of death? And then he bursts out into praise and thanks and gratitude. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then he says, so then. I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And then he breaks out into this discussion. There is now no, no, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? For the law of the spirit of life, uh, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. That's verse two of chapter eight. Uh, the the applications are. Are fairly simple and easy to understand for those who are in rebellion to God we are to flee condemnation and to flee condemnation means that we must turn to Christ for those who are looking for God you need to know that there is no salvation in any other name other than that of Jesus Christ because it is only in him that there is no condemnation for those who have slid back into sin we need to remember to repent turn away from our sin and live holy lives the the law of the spirit of life for those who are believers we need to know that we can live confidently in this world there is now no condemnation um, for those who are in Christ Jesus for those who have been believers for a while we need to leave holy lives um, it talks about the law of the spirit of life has set us free what have we been set free to do not to sin friends we have been set free to live lives to God's praise and glory and to those who have been in Christ Jesus for a while who are long in the faith uh, friends look forward to a future without sin that's what we've been set free to ultimately uh, to a glorified future eternity where we can enjoy God forever even without sin around us um, the reason why Romans chapter 8 is such a good chapter to dwell in is because it deals with your question directly there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus uh, but in reality the entire chapter revolves around this conversation of assurance as you get to verse 16 which is something I was studying last night together with some friends as you get to verse 16 uh, we're talking about the Holy Spirit within us bearing witness to us that we are saved and how does the Spirit bear witness well we discover in verse 12 to verse uh, to verse 15 that the Spirit bears witness as he testifies to us of our changed disposition toward God we now cry out to God saying Abba Father um, the Spirit bears witness as he talks to us in our inner being um, making uh, making representations to us almost like an advocate of God's changed disposition toward us we're, we're now adopted children of God and the Spirit testifies, bears witness to us within our inner being as he demonstrates the fruit of salvation which are being issued forth from lives which are transformed, converted, um, progressing in sanctification to God's praise and to his glory. And then Penny, the greatest end, I think, to any chapter, although I find lots of great ends to many chapters in the Bible, but I particularly like the end of Romans chapter 8. When Paul returns to this question of 
can we be assured? Can we be assured that God will persevere us to the end, that our salvation was won by Christ and we will be kept by Christ all the way to the end of our journey? And Paul answers that question from verse 31 and following by saying, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all how will he not also with him graciously give us all things who shall bring any charge against god's elect (laughs) Will, will satan um testify against those who are in christ at the end of days no because it's god who ultimately has justified us paul says who is to condemn well if anybody could damn it would condemn us it would be Christ but Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised and who's at the right hand of God who indeed is interceding for us Jesus is on our side how could we possibly fail who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written for your sake we were we are being killed all the day long We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, Paul says, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Penny, your question was excellent because you asked for a scripture that they can dwell on in order to be affirmed and confirmed in their faith. And the scripture that I would offer would be the whole of chapter 8 of the book of Romans. You can dwell on that chapter till the cows come home. I think uh, the Bible study that I'm working through this chapter with um, is on at least the 11th uh, two-hour session and we're have only made it to verse 16 we've got quite a long way to go but it's because it is so rich and so amazing and so lovely and it certainly is written that we might be assured that those who are in Christ will not face condemnation thanks for the question Penny I hope that I got it before you have to leave um, for 10 o'clock load shedding and I do trust that you enjoy both today being Friday and the Lord's Day uh, being Sunday as you gather together with God's people I'm just uh, looking at the control booth uh, at uh, our technician. Do we have a listener on the line at the moment? Okay, no problem. Uh, Are we going to be phoning them back? Um, Okay. Um, And, uh, uh, well, uh, Aki from from Vereniging. What's happening with my Afrikaans today? I can't even say say words. Uh, Thanks for phoning in. I'm sorry that I was in the middle of a conversation. Please feel free to phone back. Um, It's always great to have people uh, on the line. Penny does say uh, to us, wow, Mark, uh, that is the best and most comprehensive answer I've ever had. Uh, I will be sharing this podcast with both of them over and over again if necessary. Uh, Thank you so very much. Be blessed, my brother, and have a wonderful weekend. Thanks. That's, like, really encouraging. (laughs) Well, I love God's Word um, because it has the kinds of answers to the kinds of questions that we all face. Friends, Uh, This question of assurance is a question which just pastorally comes up so much. Um, 
uh, whether it be those who are caught in sin and fearing for their eternal security or whether it be um, those who just haven't been exposed to chapters of the Bible like Romans chapter 8. Uh, assurance of salvation is something that many people struggle with. Pastorally, let me give a, just a caveat of a warning um, that if you are in habitual sin, Paul would encourage you from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 toward the end of that chapter after he's spoken about communion Paul would encourage you to examine yourself to see if the truth is in you um he would he would he would say um he would echo the words of Jesus that a a tree is known by its fruit that good trees produce good fruit and bad trees produce bad fruit and elsewhere where Jesus says that out of the mouth uh, comes what really spills out of the heart um, and the warning would be that if your life isn't conformed to scripture if you're not growing in grace if you're not growing in sanctification if you're not progressing in this life um, if the spirit isn't making testimony within your heart that you have a changed disposition towards God and God has a changed disposition towards you and if you are not living a life of increased holiness that you have every reason to examine yourself to make sure that the truth is in you but friend if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, if you have believed that he died on the cross and that he rose on the third day, died on the cross for your sins, as he died, declared those most wonderful words, it is finished. <laughs> the payment had been made. Your sins have been accounted for. If you believe that message, if you believe that he rose from the grave, that the payment was accepted, that he has defeated death and the devil, he is the conqueror, the darling of heaven is your champion. <laughs> if you believe that, friend, if you've repented of your sins and placed your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, called upon him, believed in your heart that he is Lord and that God raised him from the dead and profess that with your lips then you are saved <laughs> you are kept in the hand of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ's hand is in the hands of the Father you are doubly safe till eternity comes and you stand one day before God you know even as I'm talking I, I didn't I, in fact I wasn't looking to see if other questions had come in but this is such a good question and it's really um, so super exciting to answer it uh, I, I do want to appeal to one more scripture and and that's to a scripture which I've had on my heart and in my mind for years and years and years and, and that's this conversation at the end of the book of Revelation I, I might have appealed to it before I'm not a hundred percent sure but in Revelation chapter 20 chapter 19 uh, we have just a great praise party in, he in heaven at the beginning of the chapter hallelujahs are being offered um, and once more they cry out hallelujah and the smoke goes up from her forever and uh, the, the 24 elders and the four living creatures are falling down and worshipping God who is seated on the throne saying amen and hallelujah and they are praising our God all you servants who fear him both small and great and on that <laughs> The lamb returns, the rider on the white horse, Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. He comes back to judge um, the world. The, the armies of the world fall before him. Um, no one can stand in his presence. And uh, ultimately, he overthrows all uh, who rise up against him. And he establishes a throne. We're not going to get into that right now. Um, but that begins at the, that conversation begins at the start of chapter 20. He establishes a throne 
throne. He establishes his kingdom. He defeats Satan from verse 7. And then in verse 11, we have a final judgment. Let me read it to you. Then I sought... Uh, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it for from his presence sky uh, uh, the the earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them and I saw the dead great and small standing before the throne and books were opened then another book was opened which is the book of life and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done and the sea gave up the dead who are in it death and Hades gave up the dead who are in them and they were judged each one of them according to what they had done and then death and Hades were thrown into a lake of fire this is the second death the lake of fire and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life he was thrown into the lake of fire now maybe just to exposit this passage a little bit it's a it's an incredible scene it's the great white throne judgment we know who's sitting on the throne it's Jesus Christ our glorified wonderful savior is now sitting on the throne as the judge of all the world this is the final judgment the chips are down <laughs> nothing more remains all the dead are raised to stand before the throne and there's two sets of books the first set of books appears to be the book of works it's the kinds of things that you did <laughs> many people go through this life hoping that they do just a little bit more good than they do bad because they think maybe 50 percent plus one will get them into heaven you know you give a bit to the church and you help old ladies across the road and you take care of your parents and maybe you have done enough to get yourself into heaven on that day those people will be staggered because they will stand before a God who is holy and separated from sin and they will stand in their own sin even their good works that they offer up will be like filthy rags they will go through those books looking for their good works trying to give an account before the judge of the living and the dead and they will come up short every single one of them friends it doesn't matter how good you are <laughs> good people go to hell perfect people go to heaven i'll give some thought to your own life could you describe yourself in any way as perfect? Well, I'm telling you, you're not. The Bible reveals the state of all men. All have sinned and fallen short of the righteousness of God. That's me, that's you, and that's everyone who has ever lived but one. We'll get to him now. And the wages of our sin is death, without any exception. People who rely on their own good works at the end of this age will come up short and their judgment is certain. Verse 14, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. How might you escape such a judgment? Even with the words of Romans chapter 8 verse 1 echoing in our ears there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus to escape the certain fate of all the world you need a righteousness which is not your own a perfection which does not come from you you need Jesus Christ and he's spoken about in verse 15 and if anyone's name was not found written in the book 
of life. Those names written in the book of life, I've heard said, are written in the Lamb's own blood. Jesus died that they might be saved. Friends, if you are to be saved, you must cast yourself upon the person of, of Jesus. If you do, you have every assurance that you will be saved at the end of the age. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. But friends, if you are relying on your own good works, on your own righteousness and holiness, you certainly will come up short. I see that there are a number of questions and uh, and uh, th that are coming in, a number of questions, and I'm, I'm so looking forward um, to engaging with them. I see questions from Lester. I see questions from Michael John. I see questions from Hamuchelo. I see questions from Glenn. Guys, thank you so much for engaging uh, in the conversation. Uh, we will be looking forward to those questions after a short break. We are now going to be listening to uh, Delana Kader sing Light of Your Life. Download our app and listen anytime, anywhere. Visit radiopulpit.co.za Well, friends, it is really good to be with you for the second hour of the show, Table Talk with Mark, on Fridays. Uh, and when I say it's really good to be with you, I mean I really enjoy Fridays. I love engaging uh, with a live listening audience. I really enjoy your questions. They are flooding in at the moment. I do hope that I get to many of them. In the event that I don't get to ask and answer your particular question, um, please join us next week uh, as Peter joins me again for Q&As. We've had a couple of questions on Lebola and a couple of questions on initiation uh, that I, I, I think we will pass over for next week uh, from a regular listener, Teresa. Teresa, I know that you are listening in faithfully and we will engage in with that in time. A number of other questions coming in from Michael, from Chachelo, from Lister and from others. I'm going to actually start with Lister's question uh, right now, uh, Lester's question right now. Um, there's a quote of a verse and um, uh, and an engagement um, oh no sorry um, I have lost the que I had it open in front of me and now it seems to be lost it was a question regarding 2 Corinthians chapter 5 um, I'm not too sure where that is I think in the meantime maybe we can play one of the voice notes uh, that we've received morning Pastor Mark it's Michael from Cape Town Pastor Mark, I have difficulty coming to grips with uh, the rulers and authorities mentioned in chapter 3 verse 10 of Ephesians. Would you be able to, uh, to explain to me man, what, uh, what Paul means here? Please, uh, Pastor Mark, I've been struggling with this verse now for quite some time now. But I believe that, uh, that God will use you to uh, explain to me what it, what it precisely means. Please, Pastor Mark. 
So the question is related to rulers and authorities with specific reference to Ephesians. Ephesians talks about rulers in more than one place. Uh, the reference was Ephesians chapter 3, uh, verse 10. Um, but Ephesians also speaks about uh, rulers and authorities um, in Ephesians chapter 6. So we'll take a look at both of those places. And I think we'll also take a squiz at the book of Colossians because I'm quite familiar with that passage as well and I think it relates. So let's get started by just uh, reading Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10. Um, It's part of a larger section which really begins at verse 1 and goes all the way through to verse 13 uh, talking about the mystery of the gospel revealed. Maybe just to explain what that word mystery is. Mystery is something that was previously hidden but now has been revealed. That's how the word mystery gets used in the New Testament. Uh, and so you've got this idea of the gospel being revealed, Jesus Christ being revealed, something being mysterious, being hidden in the past, in the in the Older Testament, um, but now revealed in its entirety in the Newer Testament. So Paul begins in verse 1 by saying, for this reason I Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel and so there you have it plainly laid out that in the Old Testament God primarily but not exclusively dealt with his people the Jews but in the New Testament we find that through the Apostle Paul and through his proclamation going out to the Gentiles God has brought in a Gentile um, a, a, a set of Gentile believers uh, into the church that this was previously hidden but has now been revealed in this age in verse 7 he goes on to say of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given uh, me by the working of his power to me though I am the very least of all the saints this and I mean maybe just a note on Paul's personal humility one of my favorite verses is toward the end of his life as he speaks to his protege in the faith Timothy and as he writes that he is the chief of sinners and he often self-deprecates himself even though he's an apostle uh, the apostle to the Gentiles having been given an incredible task to take the gospel message to a Gentile audience even though he writes scripture and the other apostles recognize that it's scripture Peter writes in his book of the writings of Paul being difficult to understand but no less scripture than the writings of Peter himself Um, even though he has been graced with all of this responsibility he still he still is so humble the very least of saints in verse 8 this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So now, 
yes uh, our Yes, our passage which we're bringing into sharp focus the conversation um, for this morning uh, it's the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places he gives the reason um, why the church which is the manifold wisdom of God uh, might be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him so I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you which is for your glory oh, sorry which is your glory so the entire passage is talking about these Gentiles the entire passage is talking about this mystery which was previously hidden but has now been revealed and what that mystery is in sharp focus is that Gentiles uh, are part of the church that Gentiles might approach God even in their Gentileness maybe just explain what a Gentile is in case you don't know there's two groups of people (laughs) Um, just two groups of people Jews that is a specific people and nation that had been set apart by God called out of all nations and chosen for his own eternal purposes that he might bestow love on them in a peculiar way so you've got Jews and then you have everyone else that isn't a Jew so that would be people of European descent people of Asian descent people of African descent everybody else that is not a Jew is a Gentile which makes me a Gentile and it makes a uh, across the the aisle from me, impor gentile, um, all of us in the same boat, all of us in the Old Testament, separated from God. In this, the Jews had a peculiar relationship with the God of the Old Testament, Jehovah Yahweh, a, a peculiar relationship. They could be seen to be His. He had given them His law. Uh, they lived according to His commandments. Um, they were visible representations of the love of God. <laughs> in the New Testament, um, Paul has been speaking in chapter two about uh, chapter one and chapter two about a, a dividing wall having been taken down between Jew and Gentile, um, that God has, in His own manifold wisdom, included into the church this this new body of believers started on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two has added to the church both Jews and Gentiles. It is an incredible and amazing thing and an extraordinary mystery that was in one sense hidden in the Old Testament but revealed in the New Testament. I have just also remind you um, that whilst it was hidden, the Old Testament doesn't only exclusively work with Jews. We see Gentiles woven into the story of God's grace the whole way through the Old Testament. Uh, Even Abraham was called out of Ur of the Chaldeans. He was a Babylonian um, before he was uh, a man of God. Um, we see Israel established um, through his lineage as you go from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then to Israel himself, um, who has 12 sons and then two half-sons, uh, Manasseh and Ephraim. Um, and we see the establishment of the Jewish people as they go first down into Egypt and then grow into a mighty nation and then get called out of Egypt. But woven into their story, even as they come into the promised land, is the tale of God saving 
Gentiles. Um, as we think of them coming into the city of Jericho, we have one very important Gentile, um, and that's the prostitute, because we were speaking about prostitution a little bit early in the show, but the prostitute Rahab, who acts in faith and actually becomes part of the lineage, the line of King David, ultimately. And King David, obviously, being part of the lineage, the line of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Um, we see other um, uh, other Gentiles being included into the storyline. Um, so, for example, um, Moses marries a Midianite, um, an African lady. Uh, we see uh, from um, uh, the, the tale of Ruth as uh, the the children uh, go out, uh, the sons go out and, and marry a Moabites, um and then bring them back uh, to Israel. We see entire Gentile cities getting saved in the Old Testament. Think of the story of Jonah and the whale. <laughs> we'll talk about, about Jonah not being a whale but being a fish. But but in reality, Jonah goes to Nineveh, the, the capital of the Assyrians, um, a great nation, a Gentile nation. And we see an entire city coming to repentance and putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. <laughs> One generation only, because the next generation is wicked and goes and overthrows the northern tribes of Israel. My point being that in the Old Testament, God primarily works with his people. But we do see God's heart and God's love going out to Gentiles. In fact, maybe just to say, if you read the book of Psalms and you read even the writings of the prophets, they are replete with God making promises of bringing all nations to Zion, uh, his holy city and holy hill, that they might praise his holy name there. And so we have we have more than just a smattering of Gentiles in the Old Testament. However, there is a sense that God is working primarily with his distinct people, the Jewish nation, in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, this mystery is revealed that both Gentiles and Jews are added to the church. And this becomes an incredible proclamation um, in verse 10. He says in verse 10 that so that through the church, now this is this, this conglomeration of both Jews and Gentiles, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Now rulers and authority in heavenly places, I'm fairly convinced, will be heavenly beings. We might call them angels. Uh, we might call fallen heavenly beings demons. Um, and there is a proclamation of the manifold wisdom of God which has been made through the entity of the church. As heavenly beings look upon the church, they marvel that God's love and grace and mercy and long-suffering, God's righteousness, might all come into a culmination in the salvation of a people which will be made peculiar unto him. It is a marvelous thing to go to church on a Sunday. Let me tell you, I'm looking forward to Sunday service. Um, on Sunday, I'll be at a church in Zwaalvelpoort. Central Baptist Church Pretoria has a hill campus in Zwaalvelpoort. And I will be at church in Arcadia. Uh, Central Baptist Church Pretoria has a campus in Arcadia. So 8.30 service in Zwaalvelpoort and a 10.30 service in Arcadia. And in the church... There is an incredible diversity of souls. God has, in his infinite wisdom, chosen to save young and old people and seat them together in the same building as they praise God. 
male and female and seat them together in the same building as they praise God. Black and white and in our country every color in between and in the same building seat them together that they might praise and glorify God. And that is a proclamation to a world that doesn't get these things right. I mean, this is just so sad. But yesterday I was, um, there's a new movie that's out and the movie talks of uh, the lynching of a young man in the United States and um, I was so overcome with emotion as I watched the trailer uh, that I went online and and read the story and then went and read and, and asked the question when was the last lynching when did it occur in the United States the scary thing I can't remember the date exactly now but it was in I, I'm gonna guess 1985 or thereabouts that the that, that the last um, lynching happened the murder of a person only based on their skin color that's in our lifetime friends um, for those of you who are lift, listening in whether you're black or white for many of you who are my age <laughs> I'm like mid 40s so middle age we remember apartheid that happened in our lifetime the bottom line is the world messes up in so many ways whether it be on um on gender whether it be on age whether it be on um on on race but in the church the manifold wisdom of god is on display as he brings together people who are peculiar from one another into one body Gentiles, fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. It is an amazing thing and it is a testimony to a watching world when churches get this right. I think of the, the church on Sunday. Uh, the church on Sunday is going to be so diverse and so joyful and so single-minded in their praise of Almighty God together. Because in reality, it doesn't matter if you're black or white or polka dot. <laughs> we are all praising the same Savior who laid down his life for our sins. When the church gets it right, it is a proclamation to a watching world. Now, don't get me wrong. <laughs> the church doesn't always get it right. But when the church does get it right, it is the manifold um, uh, wisdom of God on display. And that is even made uh, to heavenly beings such as demons and angels. Let me take you across to uh, Ephesians chapter 6 and just show you what I mean in terms of them being angels because I think that was kind of the essence of the question. I probably gave a little bit more than what you were looking for. Um, we're very familiar with the passage. I'm not going to read the whole passage but I am going to start at verse 10. It's the armor of God. I mean if you went to Sunday school you know all about the armor of God right breastplate of righteousness helmet of salvation the 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 belt of tr uh, the sword of truth um I guess so you know about the armor of God it starts in verse 10 Paul says finally <laughs> this is his this is his kind of last statement in closing this particular book finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. 
I hope that you see that the language in both chapter three and chapter six is the same. You've got this 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 wording uh, rulers, you've got this wording authority, and you've got this idea of heavenly places in close proximity to one another. Um, the bottom line is uh, Paul seems, or oh, Paul definitely has in mind heavenly beings um, in this case. Uh, and so the answer to your original question, who are the rulers and authorities? Well, the answer would be heavenly beings. Um, and why are they in sharp focus? Because God is testifying to them of his own manifold uh, glory um, as the church of Jesus Christ is on display. Uh, this is like this is like for free <laughs> for extra uh, for extra credit um, Ephesians chapter 12 if we go and look at the actual words that are being used there um, when we get to um, uh, rulers um, it's the word uh, archi and when we get to authority it's the word excusia um, uh, uh, rulers cosmocraco uh, um, yeah uh, this this is definitely talking of heavenly beings oh did I mention uh, that we were going to talk about uh, the uh, uh, Colossians as well um, because the same phrase is used in Colossians you might find this interesting if you've been tracking the whole conversation that Ephesians and Colossians are most likely written together as you go through those two books oh man they are so close in terms of their structure in terms of their content both with different emphasis I think Ephesians more of an emphasis on the church ecclesiology um, how we are to relate in the church Colossians more of an emphasis on apologetics particularly around the person of Jesus Christ but in uh, Colossians there's two references again uh, to this idea of rulers and authorities and I think you're going to pick up the the theme pretty quickly uh, the first one is in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16 it's speaking of of Jesus Christ and of his preeminence over all things that he is superior to everything it starts in verse 15 that he Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation that's firstborn not in terms of chronology but firstborn in terms of priority he is over everything for by him Jesus Christ all things were created when you read Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth well then you can think of Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 it is Jesus Christ who created all things you can see that same idea fleshed out in John chapter 1 verse 1 to 3 Jesus created all things in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities all things were created through him and for him and there we seem to have a very smart list that Paul is putting together. He says, um, all things were created in heaven and on earth, and then visible and invisible, and then a description of what is invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. The rulers and authorities there, um, I don't think are um, earthly rulers and authorities, but rather heavenly rulers and authorities. The same idea is taken up in chapter 2, verse 15. Um, in chapter 2, verse 15, it's talking about, again, Jesus Christ and him being the answer to all of our apologetics, that we need to focus on Jesus Christ, that we need to have Jesus Christ center in our minds, and then we won't fall for the philosophies and the traps that are all around us. And we read in verse 13 that you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh God made alive together with him 
having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And I'm fairly certain that as we read rulers and authorities there, um, it's a reference to the triumphant parade of proclamation of his awesomeness that God made that's referred to by Peter. Um, I'm fairly certain in 1 Peter chapter 3 where he talks about making proclamation after his death um, to the rulers and authorities, the demons even in hell. And so I, I would say that um, fairly consistently through both Ephesians, through Colossians, as well as by other authors including Peter, uh, this idea is uh, that of either angels or demons. And it seems to be fairly sharp focus at the end of Ephesians that it's demons and seems to be um, and therefore I would take it as 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 demons in Ephesians chapter 3 as well friends I do know that we have a zoom caller um, coming on um, in the next uh, few minutes um, uh, it might be that we're just waiting to them I'm looking forward to speaking to Joshua Balaji um, from Valcom Baptist Church and just hearing how things are going at Valcom Baptist Church um, in the meantime, maybe we can play one of the other voice notes and I can answer even as we set Zoom up for that conversation. Good morning to you, Mark. Um, my question to you this morning is the following. We created in different formats um, as the Bible stipulates. So I find that some people will mention the following that they don't believe in a blood transfusion or they won't have anything to do with blood now they quote that the blood that life as we know it is in the blood and that if you do a transfusion you are actually transfusing part of your spirit onto the next person's spirit or soul or body uh, what are your thoughts and ideas and uh, your interpretation of that? Is blood transfusion accepted according to the Bible or is it not accepted? Morning, Mark. Thank you. It's Glenn. Have a good day. Ah, Glenn, thank you so much. Uh, good question. Uh, interesting question. I know of one group uh, that makes a really big deal um, of blood transfusions in particular. They certainly aren't a Christian group uh, they would deny the deity of Jesus Christ so wouldn't be um, wouldn't be regarded typically as a orthodox Christian group but rather as a cult however I do think on the issue of blood transfusions there is a little bit of both Christian liberty um, and a matter of conscience that is involved um, the idea of life being in the blood um, I, I hadn't heard that in relation to this particular debate before, but I have heard um, Acts chapter 15, um, verse 19 and following, um, referenced in this regard. Uh, that obviously Acts chapter 15 is the Jerusalem Council, and in the Jerusalem Council you've got this whole consideration of um, are Gentiles saved by being obedient to the law of Moses, or are they saved by ju are they justified by? placing their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their 
as as the saviour are they saved by faith alone by grace alone um, and the answer of the Jerusalem council um, both as um, I think Peter gives testimony and then later as James stands and uh, and gives a clear word uh, to the gathering of both apostles and elders is that the Gentiles are saved in the same way that Jews are saved <laughs> not by obeying the law because the law was a yoke that Jews couldn't even hold up <laughs> no they are saved by putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and uh, and so you get to the end of the chapter after that decision is made and a letter is written uh, to the Gentiles and there is some practical wisdom which is placed in the letter um, the letter basically says look you are saved by faith alone but don't forget that you are in a church which includes both Jews and Gentiles for the sake of uh, our fraternal relationships for the sake of our fellowship uh, please don't offend your brothers and so Acts chapter 15 verse 20 says instead we should write to them telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols from sexual immorality from meat of strangled animals and from blood now and from blood is 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 normally what's appealed to as being the reason for not taking blood transfusions. However, that really goes against the grain of what's been spoken about in that passage. It's it's very clear in the passage that it's speaking of uh, dietary instructions. It's speaking about eating and drinking blood, not blood transfusions. Uh, in fact, blood transfusions weren't even possible uh, in biblical times. So there's no possibility that James or any of the apostles or writers could have had that in mind. So when we ask the question, is it acceptable for a Christian to receive or even to give a blood transfusion? I think number one, we acknowledge that the Bible doesn't explicitly say yes or no. And so it comes down to a matter of personal uh, conviction and conscience. Um, uh, You can carefully and prayerfully consider what God would have you do in the receiving or in the giving of blood transfusions and then act according to that. There's no command either way in scripture Um, and so blood transfusions are a matter of conscience. There's a great article written on gotquestions.org, a place that I often go to when I'm, you know, trying to figure out in my mind uh, which direction uh, scripture is going to I, I go to got questions that's got and then questions.org um, and they've got a search uh, question uh, and answer section there I think they've got something like a hundred thousand questions uh, 720,000 Bible questions answered <laughs> which is a staggeringly large amount of Bible questions um, and they are very carefully curated um, and managed. I've enjoyed this particular website for many years, and I could commend readers to that, or listeners should I rather say to that. I have put the link into the show notes for today's show, uh, so that is there and available um, to you. Um, and then also, let me just say, if you've got a question on the Bible, if you've got a question on a passage in the Bible, can I encourage you to check out Bible Ref? dot com bibleref.com now bibleref.com isn't completely comprehensive it doesn't have a comment on every single verse um, uh, in the bible sometimes it's only got a comment on the book or a comment on a chapter um, but it really is a useful starting place uh, when you're trying to formulate 
um, what a particular verse or passage might say. And the reason why it's a useful place to start um, is because it will often have commentary on a verse, and then next to it, it will have commentary on the entire chapter, and underneath it will have commentary on the entire book. And so uh, I like it because it doesn't just cherry-pick a verse and give you some ideas of what that verse might mean, but it always seems to ground the verse in an exegesis of a chapter of a book. So you get a little bit of context as you are going through it. So our um, our our uh, half past ten interview um, hasn't logged on it. It's very possible that uh, they can't um, because of. Um, uh, the realities of load shedding it's affecting everyone in the whole country um and if that's the case um uh, it's a, it's a pity i do want to read a couple of um uh, of comments uh inna says wow uh, what a song um glenn says amen and amen to the romans chapter 8 verse 1 conversation um, there's a, a number of other just commendations and encouragements. Uh, good mornings from Sandra uh, Llewellyn. I do see you online. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, um, Janice asks an interesting question that maybe we can uh, tackle. Um, a morning mark uh, table talk. So how do we quote? Uh, how, do, how do we quote? How do we cope? And that is uh, from. Janice. Now, I might have missed a, a, a previous part of that question, Janice. It, it might be that it's a multi-part question, or it might be that you are asking that question in the context of, of something that I said. So how do we cope? Um, I don't have um, the context. Um, uh, and so maybe you just want to send in a message with a little bit more information uh, so that I can engage with you. Teresa, I did see your um, your WhatsApp messages. Thank you so much. I will listen to those offline and prep the question and the answer for next week together with um, uh, together with uh, uh, Peter uh, when he joins us. There's a question and answer which comes in from Anonymous. Uh, good morning. I was asked a question. If a person served the Lord for 10 years and he knows the word of God and he preached the word of God um, all over and then after 10 years turned his back on God and chose sin, chose the world and he dies instantly after say three years. Now the question is will this person be in hell or in heaven? Thank you. Um, and that comes in from Anonymous. Um, uh, what a what a great question, particularly um, in line with the conversation that we had earlier in the show regarding assurance. Uh, regarding assurance. Now, let me say, the the doctrine of assurance does need to be um, spoken about um, with this particular tension. Um, the, the Bible often calls upon believers to examine themselves. Often calls upon believers. In, to examine themselves, and in and in different ways, uh, the the Bible, the Bible talks about um, uh, 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 those who think that they are in Christ, and then at the end of the age, during judgment, as they come to Him, cry out, "Lord, Lord!" and He says, "I never even knew you." Um, and those are people who prophesied in Jesus' name and cast out demons in Jesus' name. I mean, these guys look like uh, your average TV evangelist uh, nowadays on popular shows and yet when they come to the end of the age and they stand before Jesus Christ Jesus says away from me I, I never even knew you so it is possible to be a preacher 
of the gospel even a miracle worker <laughs> Jesus Christ himself says and yet not be saved by Jesus Christ it's impossible to know of Jesus and to speak of Jesus and yet not to know Jesus intimately and um, the Bible also talks of those who are in the church who fall into sin and now I'm thinking particularly of the book of Matthew again this is Jesus words there this isn't even Paul or Peter and um, but Jesus says if you uncover uh, if you know of uh, a fault that your brother has a fault against you, you you to go and you to confront your brother and call him away that you might win him over if he doesn't listen to you take somebody else with you if he doesn't listen to the both of you tell it to the church and if he refuses to listen to the church friends you to cast him um, out of the church it used to be like a Gentile or a tax collector to you in other words it is possible even for those who are part of the church to fall into the kind of grievous sin that means that the church must stop associating with that person we see an example of that, a metaphor, except it's written in one of the epistles, both the epistle of 1 Corinthians and then again in 2 Corinthians, where Paul deals exactly with this, a, a, a man who's caught in the grossest of sin. I'm not even going to say the kind of sin that he's involved in, but, but it's disgusting. And uh, we see Paul saying, listen, yeah, don't let me come. <laughs> Don't let me come to Corinthians in order to deal with this problem. You must have nothing to do with this person. He must be cast out by the majority. Uh, this is to be taken to the church. <laughs> you're, to, you're, you're to go through a church discipline procedure with this man. In 2 Corinthians, it seems as if this man has repented of his sins, put his faith and trust once more in Jesus Christ, and is leading a life. Not a sinless life, because that's Jesus Christ, but a life which conforms to the profession of a believer. And Paul encourages the, the, the church not to be too hard on him, but to bring him back into the fold. Now, to your question in particular. I was asked the question, if a person served the Lord for 10 years, and he knew the word of God and preached the word of God all over, and then, after 10 years, turned his back on God, chose sin, chose the world, and dies instantly, say after three years. The question is, will this person be in heaven or in hell? Well, that's a little bit complex for me to answer. And I'll tell you why. Uh, I mean, this might be a real situation. This might just be a um a, 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 like a, a, a parable. Um, but, but let me tell you why it's difficult for me to answer the question. Number one, I am not Jesus. <laughs> I'm not this person's judge. So I don't know where this person was in terms of their heart or heart with Jesus Christ or not. The truth is, sometimes believers fall into gross sin. We can see that in Scripture. I can refer to two places. Um, I personally believe that Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts, I'm fairly certain it's Acts chapter, let's go with 5. Um, Ananias and Sapphira were believers and who came under great judgment of God. Their lives were taken away um, because of sin that they had committed against the Holy Spirit. This same kind of judgment is spoken about in the book of Hebrews chapter 12 where we learn of the discipline of God that God will discipline those who he loves and so um, God disciplining even to the point of death is possible I, I say that disciplining even to the point of death is possible because and again I refer to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 um, that seems to be on Paul's mind after he talks about um, 
about the, oh, I said 2 Corinthians when I was looking it up in my Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when he speaks about uh, the Lord's table, the Lord's Supper, as he gets to the end of describing what the Lord's Supper looks like, uh, he says these words, whoever therefore eats or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy matter will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself and then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks a judgment on himself that's why so many of you are weak and ill and some have died the bottom line is it seems as if paul is addressing believers he's addressing the church in corinth and he's saying listen some of you are ill because you are you are sinning against god you are eating the lord's table in an unworthy manner and some of you have even died <laughs> and so uh, this idea of of death and um, being a discipline of god even toward believers um is spoken about in scripture and i'd appeal to those three passages um however if this person was not a believer they professed christ they made big show of talking about jesus they even told other people about jesus and uh, and other people may very well have put their faith and trust in jesus christ based on their sermons or based on whatever they were doing um, the reality is that you can make much of Christ and yet not have put your own personal faith and trust in Jesus Christ. There are examples of that in Scripture as well. Uh, I think of Judas Iscariot for a start. Uh, when we read of the story of Judas Iscariot, it's tragic. Um, when he's mentioned in the New Testament over and over again, it, 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 it tells you right from the beginning, this is the one that betrayed Jesus. He followed Jesus. He was with Jesus for three years. Everyone trusted Judas. He was the guy that was in control of the money bags. <laughs> when Jesus plainly told his disciples that one of them would betray him, his disciples looked around at each other with confused looks on their faces, asking, could it be me? <laughs> could it be Peter? Could it be Simeon? No one thought it would be Judas. He spoke of Jesus highly of Jesus and he was known as one of the the 12 closest disciples and yet he did not believe in Jesus Christ he could talk of the things of Jesus he could be sent out as Jesus sent out the 70 and as Jesus uh, sent out his disciples to go and cast out demons and do all kinds of things he could be he could be engaged in those kinds of works but at the end of the day he did not love Jesus Christ as his Lord and his Savior. A tragic tale. Uh, there's other tales like that. Um, I think of the Nicola uh, Nicolaitans, the Nicolaitans, uh, Nicholas. Um, he's probably spoken about in the book of Acts. Uh, I think of the story of the setting aside of the deacons, the prototype deacons um, in Acts, um, as you have this list of people that are listed. One of them is listed as, as Nicholas. But when you go to the book of Revelation, you have uh, this church that has grown up around uh, a cult figure, uh, the Nicolaitans, and, and they are engaged in all kinds of gross sin. The bottom line is um, those who profess Christ fall away, but they fall away because they never truly loved him. Another example would be Demas. Um, Demas, very close personal friend of Paul, um, with him um, for years and years. And yet at the end of the day, even Paul says, Demas has deserted me um, for a love for the world. Uh, another example, um, anonymous, of, uh, of this is the, the parable 
of the four soils. If you think of the parable of the four soils in the words of Jesus Christ, he talks about a a sower going out to sow. And some soil falls on the pathway. It gets plucked up by the ravens. Other other seed falls on rocky ground. And as it comes out, the sun scorches it. Other seed falls amongst the thorns and the thistles. And it begins to take root. But in reality, the thorns and the thistles choke it out. But lastly, there's seed which falls on fertile soil and it brings forth a harvest, 30, 60, and 100 fold. Well, the disciples are clueless. <laughs> they, don't, they don't understand what Jesus is speaking about. And so they, they take him aside later. They say, please explain the parable to us. And so Jesus does explain it. Well, he first says, listen, yeah, I'm speaking in parables so that people won't understand that these truths might be hidden from them. But he says, but to you, all things have been revealed. And he explains the parable. The, the the seed that falls on the soil, the 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 raven is the devil, uh, Satan plucking up the seed before it can even be heard. The seed falling on rocky soil is 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 that which takes takes root, uh, like a very shallow root. And um, it's people who profess Jesus Christ, but as soon as the sun comes out, um, it scorches them. The sun is like persecutions uh, in this world. It scorches them because they never really loved Jesus enough to die for Jesus. And blessed are the persecuted, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Now the third soil um, is the thorns and the thistles. This is the cares of the world. Some people love Jesus as long as Jesus gives them what Jesus is supposed to give them. But as soon as they fall on hard times or as soon as they face opportunities in the world which might take them away from the person of Jesus Christ, that's the way they go. They demonstrate that they didn't love him (laughs) by the way that they live out their lives. But you know what a Christian looks like? A Christian looks like seed thrown on fertile soil that brings forth fruit. What kind of fruit? Well, fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. And fruit like loving God with all your heart, your soul, your mind and your strength. Fruit like loving God's people, wanting to be around them. Fruit like loving God's word. It becomes like honey to you. It's perfect and pure and righteous altogether. The Christian's life looks like a fruitful field, bringing forth its fruit, 30, 60, and 100-fold. A good tree is known by its fruit. Friends, if you look and engage in your life and you are not seeing fruit, 30, 60, and 100-fold, you are not seeing the fruit of a good tree. Paul would beg you and I beg you today to examine yourself to see if the truth is in you. The scary thing is the Apostle John speaks about people going out from us, people leaving the church, people apostatizing, turning their back on the people, on the person of Jesus Christ. And the Apostle John says they go because they were never of us. I do hope that that answers the question uh, to one degree or another. Thank you so much for asking it. I really do appreciate that. Ah, I found the 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 10 question. Uh, I, I mean, please do understand that the questions, that they come up on a board. The, the board is right in front of me. And, uh, and as they come up, I get to ask them. And so, uh, um, uh, I think it's Chachelo, um, uh, asked a question at uh, 10 o'clock around 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 10. And, and the question was, does that apply 
to believers today. So let's go and read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. Uh, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. It reads, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Remember, judgment seat of Christ. Remember, we must all, we must all appeal before before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body whether good or evil and the question is does that apply to believers only what a wonderful question well the answer um, is is a, a great nuance to the discussion that we had earlier around the great white throne judgment the great white throne judgment is really the condemnation of evil people at the end of the age the sea gives up its dead the earth gives up its dead and all stand before Jesus Christ they look at the books these are the books of works and those who are in Christ uh, sorry and those who are judged according to the books of works according to what they are done are found guilty and consigned to the fires of hell only people who are saved are those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Well, the question is, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we read of another judgment. Um, uh, we must all appeal, appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And the question here is, is this talking of believers? Or is this the same judgment? Is this a different judgment? What is this talking about and the answer is this is actually a different judgment this is a judgment which does happen at the end of the age and um, but this is a judgment which is just of believers um, the, the the idea of this judgment um, is uh, being different um, as opposed to the great white throne judgment uh, is actually contained in this idea the judgment seat of Christ the the word for seat there is different to the word for throne in revelation that that revelation judgment the judgment over the dead um, is one judgment this is a, a, a seat it's called the beamer seat in actual fact a couple of years ago when I went to Israel um, I experienced this I, I, I saw a beamer seat um, it was in a, col a coliseum it was in a um, uh, next to a hippodome which is where they would have done chariot races there was an amphitheater and in the amphitheater there was a raised seat upon which the proconsul or the ruler would sit whoever was in charge of that city or that protectorate and uh, upon that seat they would sit and uh, and and make judgment over um, either those who were fighting or those who were giving oration or whatever it might be um, basically telling them what was right and what was wrong and, and engaging with them like that and that seems to be what Paul has in mind in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 10 um, rather than the great white throne judgment Paul seems to be really looking at his own life um, uh, he's been he's been teaching uh, of the glory of eternity with Christ being f of far weightier gain than any present suffering that we might have to endure and he's been talking about his own suffering um, in 2 Corinthians um, um, uh, but he's talking he, he's casting us forward to a permanent house that we might one day dwell in um, the the joy of being with Jesus Christ forever and ever and, and what he's saying is listen you know, what you do now in this world it counts <laughs> it's not like it's not like salvation is just about pie in the sky when you die uh, it's not just about um, one uh, judgment uh, in the future and if you if you get into heaven 
it's wonderful and if you don't then it's hell he says no even in the present what we do in the present counts we will one day stand before the beamer seat of christ and and we will be judged as believers the we here is talking about his audience and his audience is believers and he's saying what we do matters when we do good um we will be rewarded for doing good and when we do bad it's not that we will be consigned to have uh, to hell uh, for this um, but rather that which we have constructed that isn't made out of out of uh, uh, precious jewels and uh, and gold and and those kinds of things the, the the stubble and the wood of this life the things that we have wasted our time and our attention on um, that will be burnt up it will, it will be for nothing that there will come a judgment when Jesus judges um, believers uh, for what they have done and uh, and will reward them the book of Revelation in many places speaks of the, I'm fairly certain it's the Stephanos, it's the crown, it's where we get the word Stephen from, um, that we will receive crowns, um, a reward for the good things that we've done. I'm fairly certain that those crowns we will offer up to Jesus Christ. Um, just because he is so beautiful and so worthy of our praises for all eternity that we will be able to magnify him even for the good works which we have done according to Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 uh, that were prepared for us before the foundation of the world but the bottom line is there will be a judgment even of believers this judgment is not a judgment to heaven or to hell but rather a judgment in terms of what we have done for good uh, uh, that good action can be rewarded um, and that we will receive from those uh, those efforts back from the from the lord you might remember jesus himself speaking of of suffering for his sake and 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 that being returned to us multiple fold um back uh, in return uh, just this idea of jesus christ rewarding his own friends I do want to say thank you. I, I, I realize we haven't gotten to all the questions that came in today, and I, I want to thank you for sending them in. I'm always excited when I see with the way that uh, folk engage and interact um, with this radio pulpit uh, Bible section and segment, and uh, I, I do want to commend you and say thanks, and I look forward to speaking to you next week. If there's something that you've asked that I haven't gotten around to, I do look forward to engaging with you. As we close out the show this morning, uh, let me remind you uh, that uh, I do pray um, for various different um, uh, folk, uh, for those that are engaged in all kinds of services uh, around our country. Uh, I pray for you and pray that God's blessing would be upon you. You've been listening to Table Talk with me, your host, Mark. We're going to be going to news shortly and so until next week, Friday. Do walk wisely, do live holy, and do testify zealously. God bless.